everyone. Welcome to the Avalon Podcast, where I, Joe Collins, chat with entrepreneurs to learn about their journey as business owners and founders. Today's guest is the effervescent Tessa McLaughlin, community building extraordinaire. Tessa is the founder of Club Quench, which is a co-working culture club based here in Victoria, BC. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Tessa. Enjoy. and gentlemen, welcome to Entrepreneurs Can Thrive, the Avalon podcast. I'm your host, Joe Collins. Uh, let me explain what this podcast is about since this is our first episode. This is a podcast for entrepreneurs or those thinking about delving into the world of entrepreneurship. We'll hear from entrepreneurs all along their journey, from those just launching their first business to quote-unquote serial entrepreneurs, the challenges, opportunities, ideas, and what compels us to continue. I'll do my part to bring out the strategies and tactics that you might use to get your business to the next stage of your journey. Today's episode is our first episode, who, uh, and it features an incredible person, an all-around inspiring individual, Tessa McLaughlin. Tessa was born in Outback, Australia, was a childhood TV celebrity, and traveled the world before settling in Canada. She's an expert community builder and passionate collaborator. We dig into all kinds of goodness here, uh, her background, her deep caring, and what sparked her purpose for bringing people together in an increasingly disconnected world. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Tessa. Enjoy. Okay. Thanks, Tessa. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Thanks for being on the podcast. No problem. Yeah. First glad- person. Yeah. The virgin, you're the virgin. <laughs> You've been on podcasts before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in my vast experience of podcasts. Yeah. So when I was thinking last night about what I would ask you, like first question, and it, one the one thing, like back to the basics is you're from Australia. Yes. Yes. And you're born in Queensland. Born in, very good, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, I was. And the Isa. How, how old were you when you moved to Western Australia? I was 11. Okay. Yeah. So you did some growing up in, in QA. Oh, yeah. We were, I was definitely, I'm definitely an Outback girl. Okay. Yeah. So whenever I see spin effects or red dirt, I definitely get a bit teary because <laughs> it looks so beautiful to me. So what was it like growing up? Like in, so you're in Mount out, Isa. Mount Isa. Yep. So central Queensland. That's like Outback, Outback. Yep. I think it's. I think it's still in the world Guinness Book of Records is the largest city in the world because you can drive for two hours and still be in Mount Isa. Oh, really? But it's obviously just a very small mining town. Okay. Yeah. And any any stories from, I guess, that sort of period that would encapsulate what it's like to grow up in the outback? You know, we were really lucky, like, at, because when you grow up in mining towns, you have a lot of people that... Um, especially with MIM, Mount Isa Mines, they put a lot of money into the community back then. Um, mining companies could do that, so they could really make towns um, culturally viable, I guess. So there was a lot of facilities that were built by the mines to support families because they want to attract families to be there and they right. want the engineers, they want the, you know, the metallurgists, which was my dad. And, um, and so we had – there was – 
we had a very good cultural upbringing there. We had amazing choirs that my siblings and I were all in. We all learnt multiple instruments. We um, were in a Stedfords all the time. And there's a lot of people from Mount Isa that now have gone on to lots of um, acclaimed cultural jobs in Australia. Right. From and you said they used to be able to do that? They don't do that anymore? I think there's something because of the new tax laws in Australia that something changed a few years ago. Dad was explaining it to me, but it's something where now there's more fly-in, fly-out, not for Mount Isa, but for other small mining towns. So because mining towns aren't allowed to do that much anymore where oh, okay. they can support the towns as much. It's, I, 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 don't quote me on all that. It's but Right. Yeah. It was a great place to grow up. It was awesome. And, it, I mean, it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine I just have this picture of it yeah. being like it blue hot. skies, red dirt, and yep. blazing hot. Blazing hot. But, you know, like when you ran away from home to the backyard, I'm leaving. It was great because you could survive for a you know, hours out there because we had three mango trees, we had an avocado tree, we had a grapefruit tree, we had kumquats, oranges, limes, lemons, mulberry bushes. Yeah. Like there was there was no problem. You weren't going to go hungry. So what was like, what, what would have been <clears throat> like a typical a typical day then? Is it is it kind of yeah. like average day or is it yeah. is it quite different out there? Well, I mean, average day, I mean, you mean weather-wise, heat-wise? I mean, no, I just mean like what you did. Did. Well, I mean, I was a kid, so we went to school. We walked to school, have, you know, some primary school. And then, you know, in the afternoons, we'd all get on our bikes and go to whoever's house, go down to the, the local corner store, get some lollies, and <laughs> and then go to the, our backyard backed on with um, – a, a row of houses that backed onto the bush and um, the train would come past. And so we would go out into the bush and just wander around. There was a big, um, uh, what do you call it, like a, a creek. Yeah. And so we would, if it was a wet season, then we could get all the clay. So the original and, free-range children? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totes. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Nice. And, you know, I remember walking along and having, you know, my sisters and I would just stop as soon as you'd see a snake. And then you'd continue as soon as the snake's gone. Right, so always on your mind a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, we didn't, we didn't worry us because you just knew how to act yeah. when the, yeah, that arrived. Cool. So, so you're 11 years old, you moved to Western Australia, all the oh, way yeah. across the country. All the way across the country, and we were devastated. Like, we were just like, oh, my God, we're going to, like, a beach town. And yeah. I remember arriving there and um, going to the new school, and it was 15 degrees. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, I am not going outside. That is so cold. <laughs> <laughs> so and, was yeah. this any sort of, um, uh, like, connection here on community? Because obviously Mount Isa being quite secluded mm -hmm. um, in Queensland um, that – there seems to be a thread that throughout your life of creating community and being yeah that was there was any anything there that kind of started that for you or was it more? well I think that um, I think a thing for me that's always helped is well I'm I'm dyslexic so um, school was always a bit of a struggle for me in terms of you know the the things that we're supposed to learn like normal mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I really had to find alternatives 
Um, and I've always been a social person. I always liked people. And my mum and dad always said I always stood up for the underdog. Um, and, yeah, I did. And so when we moved to Western Australia, um, I've got a twin brother. And, um, and we, yeah, he and I were in, we got put into the same class again. And so you have to navigate you know, my, my twin brother didn't have any problems with learning to read or write and so how we interact differently socially and, um, I mean, then, I mean, that's blabbing on a bit strangely, but I got really involved in the arts and at, when I was 11 I was in a TV show in Australia and I was in that for two and a half years. What was the show and- called? <laughs> So we can all Google it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't Google it, actually. It's, it's nowhere. before. It's nowhere. It's yeah. somewhere. It, it's nowhere. It's somewhere in the ABC archives, though, I bet. No, it was uh, GWN. Oh, okay. Yeah. Never heard of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a, a West Australian TV show. Oh, okay. But it was great. I got to, like, yeah, be a TV presenter for years, and, and it was cool. And then I got into lots of musical theatre. And I was in a, um, a semi-professional children's theatre company that toured Australia. Oh, cool. And, and so that was it for me is like realising how arts brings people together too. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, so – and then my father and my mother have always been big. Like my dad's um, a coach for because my brother was a, a very good athlete and so my dad – got training and to be a coach and now he trains little athletics and he has for nearly 25 years and then his daughters my sisters and I were all performers and he you know was on the first committee to build this great entertainment center in Bunbury which is where I'm from so he's always been really active in making things happen and being like building community right so I probably got it from that (laughs) So it was. Does it stem back to Mount Isa in in some ways? That were you kind of in the arts stuff going yeah. on there, and then yeah. it sort of blossomed in. Bummer? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's when my sisters and I were very involved in the arts, and then all of us have become um, performers. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, and I think that that's how them. You know, I did professional dancing and professional musical theatre and then I became a, a singer-songwriter, musician and toured doing that. And, yeah, I mean, I think the thing with performing is is you love it usually even if you can't do it and that's what I love about it. Like, for especially singing, I always found when I said to people, when people say, what do you do? And I was like, oh, well, I'm a singer. And they go, oh, my God, I love to sing but you don't want me to. And I always thought that was the craziest answer. I'm like, why wouldn't I want you to sing? Like, it's the thing that makes people the happiest. Right. It's so wonderful. And then when you get into a, a choir and you've got voices singing together, it's yeah. like, and they say that people's heartbeats start beating together. Um, you become really in sync when you're singing. Uh, yeah. So I, right. that's a big passion for me, for sure. Right. Well, that's a great segue into community building then. Yeah. So using arts to to build community. So yeah, I guess stemming that. So if you if you go back and start to see where you had started building some community, yeah. did, wh- wh- when does that when does that you go know, back? To? I actually think that when I noticed that's what I did well was because someone told me, but um, it was in Whistler. So I moved to Whistler in two thousand. And it was the last place in Canada that I wanted to live. 
I really did not want to to live in Whistler. But my um, husband at the time had got a job up there and he really wanted to become a mountain guide and a, and a ski patroller. And so we moved to Whistler. And so I kind of had to um, put my judgment and my ego and whatever it was aside and go, okay, what isn't it? Why do I not want to be in Whistler? And it was because of to me, the type of Australian that came there and the reputation Australians have in Whistler. And and then I started realising as I was looking into this a bit more that the reason that Australians were treated the way they were was also because of the way the locals were perceiving the Australians. And I started seeing that all these Australians were coming over to work for a lot less money per hour than they can make in Australia. Mm -hmm. So they were coming over, I think, then for eight bucks an hour to work as a lifty in their off-season from university. So they were all starting to be like engineers or teachers or some of them lawyers. Um, So these highly trained or um, educated people coming over to work as a lifty, you know, for eight bucks an hour, which Mm -hmm. they, as I said, they can get paid a lot more in Australia to do some as a cafe in a cafe. Right. And that's when I was like, this is really interesting. So there was that was where I was like, you know, why don't we do something where the locals get to actually really meet these transient workers and introduce and then so they get to meet them and then the transient workers get to see that this isn't just a tourist town. This is actually a town that people are proud of, that people live here and have families. Mm -hmm. And so... um, I initiated this thing called the um, Welcome um, Welcome Week and um, a welcoming dinner, and um, and I will say that it was one of the the head of our board for the Whistler Community Services that really spearheaded it, um, and so I organised that we'd have all these tables that sit at eight, seated eight people, and we would have hosts on each table. So local hosts would host the table, and it would be a free meal. And um, the transient workers would come along and they'd really get to meet the people who are from the town. Be connected in some way. And be connected. And the it was overwhelming, the response back from that first year. I'm pretty sure it still runs today, the whole welcoming week. Um, I think it's been going now for probably 10, 15 years. Mm. Um, and it's really changed the way the aim was to sort of try and reduce vandalism and um, drunken behaviour. And I think that worked um, because I think that the transients really saw, okay, people are proud of this town. It's not just a tourist town. And the, and the locals were like, actually, these people that are really, they're coming to have fun they are working and making like Whistler would not survive without transient workers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it was this, yeah, that was kind of what I was like, this is so great. This is what people need. We need to be able to see each other better. And, and, and that was really what started it. Right. And how do you, how do you get that sort of disparate group, two disparate groups of people together? How did you, how did you sell that to people? Free food. Free food. For the transients. <laughs> yeah. That worked. Um, and then for the locals, well, it was pitching it to them and, and saying, I really think this would work. And, you know, I'm a, when I think that something will work, I'm pretty passionate about it. Um, and it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard to do at all. And I know that people developed relationships that lasted very a very long time. Right. Um, but you must have had some weight already in the community to start yeah. to, to – 
bridge that gap, right? So did you start laying the groundwork for this earlier? I'm, I'm just trying to understand yeah, if you kind of go no. back to the, the, the start of that. If no, it just it, came honestly, from it was just person. an idea. I was just like, we should do this. And I mentioned it to the, the head of our board. And she's like, that's a great idea. Go for it. And for I was which like, board? Um, the Whistler Community Services. Oh, okay. Because uh, that's who I worked for. And um, and because I was working at that time as the female outreach worker. So my job was to, you know, find people and connect them to services within the community. Um, and, yeah, she was like, run with it. Go. And I was like, okay, here we go. So I just started calling people, like the mayor, and, and just going, hey, let's do this. So and just picking up the phone. Yeah. Or just, just going and started. meeting them. And, yeah. And then then again, what happened, so a few years, and then I, st- well, I started the outdoor film series called Luna in Wind Whistler, which um, stands for Late and Unique Nighttime Alternatives. And that was aimed to try and provide nighttime alternatives that weren't um, alcohol-based. Oh, okay. And so I did these outdoor film series and um, movies at the pool, like Jaws at the pool, um, and and I think Luna still runs today in Whistler. And, um, yeah, I started up a female showcase of female musicians. And I know I always just was like, this is really missing in the, you know, in this sort of group or society or whatever. And I'll just go, I'll just build it. I'll just do it. Right. <laughs> if I want it, why don't I just build it? Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it was there ever a worry about stretching yourself too thin and, and doing things like, Mm. Not whole assed. <laughs> <laughs> Half assed? Yeah. <laughs> um, not back then. Because back then, I mean, I'd come from working, living in the UK and working three jobs and, like, that was never a worry right. for me then. I mean, once you add kids into the mix, yeah, it's a bit different. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. Yeah. Because that's, I think, um, yeah. something we can glean from from you. <laughs> yeah, and I think the other thing that really um that if I think about quench um one of the big community things for me was and this is where I started I was working for the women's um uh the women's center in Squamish. And I my job was to go in and see what was happening in um our sort of northern communities um around Pemberton Mount Curry area and find out why women weren't accessing the transition house that was there. And that was a really big eye opener for me. You know, I was like, oh my God, here's this white freckled Australian woman coming into these First Nations communities. I'm like, oh my God, this is just, it's ridiculous. But you know, what can I do? And I'm picturing you wearing fluorescent because you're wearing fluorescent right now. (laughs) Yeah, I probably was. (laughs) Or citrus colours. And um, I just found the isolation and the disconnection in the communities such an issue, such a problem. And that's where I started going, wow. When societies become, when we become disconnected from each other, when we, when we feel, um, uh, you know, abandoned by our people, our cultures, our, you know, that's that's when these systemic problems happen, and I mean these communities are full of amazing. I was working with mainly women, amazing women that have been through so much, and and 
I learned so much from them and especially learned how to sit and and just observe and and being a musician and being arts based really helped me sort of integrate into that community with my sense of humor and my ability to you know sit down and create I guess with them and um yeah is there any stories or what was it like walking into say one of those um communities for the first time how did you how did you break down the barriers you know what that's the bit that I don't know how I do that that and I think that that's well, take us Probably through, take why us through I a, do it. Take us through well, a scenario. What, what, what? I like humor. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't take myself very seriously. Right. Um, I remember I remember at one time I was sitting in, um, I also was a victim service worker for the RCMP in, in Whistler. And this woman had come in and um, she, mm. it, it was a horrific situation. And she'd finally got to the RCMP and she was, finally out of this probably 12-year incredibly abusive relationship. She was very nervous. She was incredibly scared, incredibly. And we were just, we had to, you know, the police were interviewing her and and I was sitting there with her to sort of create some kind of comfort, I guess. And um, there was a big, um, the RCMP were having a big garage sale that day. And anyway. <laughs> The, we had been talking and talking and and she said, you know, we said, how did you manage to get away today? Like, how did you do it? Because um, I'm sure most people know it's actually when a woman actually decides to leave and when she finally leaves an abusive relationship that, that they're in the most danger. And um, she said, well, I just told him that I have to go out quickly because I have to go to a garage sale. And I looked at her and I said, Oh, shit. I guess he didn't know where the biggest garage sale was happening today then, did he? <laughs> and she just started laughing and laughing. And I was like, and my the my worker who was there with me kind of looked at me like, Tessa, you can't say that. And I was like, oh, no, I can't say that. And then I was like, well, but look at what it did. It made this, it sort of broke down that tension and it just made it, a, she, it she just totally relaxed after that, even though, it was a horrific situation. Right. But it came from a good place. Is that is yeah. that the difference? Is that? Yeah. Maybe it's like I, I don't know. I don't know what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. I think I just don't take life too seriously. I don't take me too seriously. And, you know, maybe I've got a bit of that Australian pointing out the obvious or saying it like it is. Well, that is interesting. I, I remember when I lived in Australia, it was... Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of have, as an outsider, uh, maybe a, a, you can play things a little bit differently. Oh, yeah. Because you have the accent and they know if you're from somewhere else, they sort of categorize yeah. you differently. Do you find that? Have you found that living in Canada that you actually maybe act differently than you did? I mean, I know it's been a while since you lived in Australia. but No, I find that when I go back to Australia, and even I had a friend who was living in Sydney for a while, and she was like, oh, my God, Tessa. I get you so much better now. <laughs> They're all like you. I mean, <laughs> we we have the weather to be way more relaxed. Right. I think. And Australians are really great at taking the piss out of everybody, including themselves. Right. And I think that that's, you know, that probably stems from the British humour. And, you know, you've got to be able to, you know, you're allowed to make a dig at anyone because if they do it back to you, you're like, oh, 
that's a good one. Yeah. Good, well, I remember, one. yeah, when we had our favorite restaurant down there, and uh, we had the same waiter every time we would go there. We'd go there about once a month. And he was always ready with some <laughs> sort of quip. <laughs> um, and you had to be on your toes. And I, yeah. I just became, you know. But you're good at that. You're really good at that. But I don't that's... feel like there's much of an outlet because people aren't as ready on, no. in Canada. Oh, yeah. no. Canadians <laughs> do that. God, can I react to that? <laughs> um, yeah, so you, I think that that's definitely an Australian quality. I also think, you know, I'm a pretty impulsive, well, pretty, my parents would laugh. I'm very impulsive. And sometimes I say things that I probably shouldn't have and I go, oh, shit, inside voice. Or I, right. or, you know, I just, yeah, I definitely get caught up sometimes too. But sometimes it works. And um, Any examples of where it? doesn't I'm work or hasn't think. <laughs> these uh, are the fun ones right <laughs> yeah oh i can't think of one off the top of my head but i'm sure my family would be able to tell you many that yeah there's well it seems to be times. working quite a bit because you've you've created a community at quench you've yeah. created a community in your past of quite a few times yes already so okay now let's so flash forward a little bit yeah. Yeah. What? When did you? When did you realize? Okay. You know what? This is a thing for the 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 greater <clears throat> good. And and I'm and you sort of hinted to it, but in the context of um, outreach with maybe marginalized yeah communities. communities. But where did it become sort of? I need to do this for the general public. For, for so everybody. when I was living in Squamish, um, and uh, I think there, that's where I I have paperwork where I was trying to start this sort of collective um, of artists because I can I've always seen that people do their individual things and I'm always interested to why we we don't share information as much like people sort of are very quick to I've got an idea and I'm going to keep hold of it for myself um, and I I remember too hearing um the guy who did Sharkwater, he's unfortunately passed away. I remember him talking about after he did Sharkwater, he had all these charities that would, excuse me, come to him and say, you know, can you do this for them? Can you do that? And he'd, he'd be like, yeah, yeah. And he, you know, he just had so much support from all these outside charities. And then he decided to start his own charity. And as soon as he did, all this support from the other charities dropped off. And it was because they're all bidding after the same money. And I was like, isn't that interesting? Like if we just pull together and work collectively, um, yeah, it just struck me as that's the way that societies used to work. And that's the way like First Nations communities and Aboriginal communities, that was the way that they functioned. And now, I mean, we won't go into the historical trauma and stuff, but, it, you know, that's what's disconnected for them. Um, and I think that's exactly what's happening in our society day in terms of we're able to work remotely, we're able to work from home, we're able to work from an aeroplane, we can order food from home, we can date from home, we can watch movies from home, we can shop from home. And so we're, we're losing that connection. And so that's what I sort of started to start, as I said, this collective in Squamish. Then when I moved to Victoria, um, I wanted to start up. I um, wanted to start up this festival, uh, a, a festival about ideas and creativity, and 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 expose people to different 
things that they've never been exposed to or never had the opportunity to. And so I pitched the idea of this festival to Nick Blasco at Rifflandia and um, coincidentally at that time someone else was thinking of doing the same thing so they sort of asked me to spear, um, spearhead Thinklandia. So when I was working for Thinklandia, this was when the actual quench sort of epiphany came to me because I was working, I was a newly single mum, I did. I was new to Victoria, I didn't know very many people, I was trying to start up this festival about ideas, yet I worked from home um, and I had a three-year-old son and my daughter was in school and I was like, how am I getting ideas when this is like I'm not being exposed? I was like, I wish there was a place where I could go and I could feel balanced and supported in the things that that lead to a happy life, which I really believed came from learning more, remaining curious. It came from being living a healthy, well life, so eating well, um, um, having a healthy mind, having a healthy body, um, and and it came from being in contact with people that maybe I wouldn't normally be in contact with, like for your, like yourself, like an accountant. I've never known an accountant in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's one of the best parts about being a part of a community like this is that you can meet creative types as yeah. an accountant. You're not sitting in an office with uh, just accountants. And I, I, I imagine yeah. that feeling is mutual for, for the other community members. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think, so that's where I was like, oh, I wish there was something. And so I sort of started looking around to find what was there. And then one weekend I went over to visit my friend in Vancouver and I met her at her club, which was the Arbutus Club. And I was like, well, look at this. And I've never been into a private, private club or, and I was like, oh my God. So she gets access to all of this and it's her club for an annual rate. And I was like, well, where's my club? Where's, where is the, where is the, that middle ground? So you have something like the Arbutus Club, or, which I don't know, maybe it's 50000 over to join it. And then I felt like the next thing was the YMCA. And so I was like, well, why can't we build something in the middle? And why can't I build something that encompasses all the things that make being part of a club easy. So it, 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 it gives you access to fitness facilities or good food. It gives you access to make a space. Um, so I can, you know, we can share things in a sharing economy. We, I don't have to go and buy sewing machines. I don't have to go and buy, I don't know, a chop saw. I don't, you know, things like that. And I was like, and it, maybe it would give me access to meeting space and printers and then and then I have access to people and that's where it came from I was like oh my god I'm going to build I'm going to build a club and then I found out about co-working because that was fairly new at that point too right so I guess going back to your um, Whistler days and yeah. thinking if I if it doesn't exist I need to build it myself is yeah. that kind of the stemming of maybe the entrepreneurship start spark that you had was it I you know I actually think and that's um I've never I've always hated the word entrepreneur me too um (laughs) (laughs) but there's no other word I know but it just sounds so (laughs) pretentious and trailblazing it's kind of like oh well I'm an entrepreneur well there's bourgeoisie (laughs) right (laughs) 
That's way better. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I can spell that either. very well. <laughs> They're all French words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Aubergine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You are an eggplant. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like a song. Eggplantpreneur. Cuckoo, no. cuckoo. I, yeah, there's no good word for it, but yeah, if, if if you can say that in in some what that encapsulates is that you know in a yeah. I guess an enterprise sort of way from going from inception of uh, some sort of idea to actually making it happen. But that and this is the craziest thing because I think the word entrepreneur people think it's business, you know, it's like oh you're a business person and they never combine or think of artists as entrepreneurs but that's the thing is like that's what I was as a solo musician I recorded my album myself I I set up all my gigs I I promoted myself I was the one who you know went and distributed in the beginning days I distributed my my album to all the radio stations when I got play on radio that was because I had handed it over Mm -hmm. um when you know, all the gigs that I did, it was me doing it. And then when things started going, you know, better than, you know, it, that was the business. It was like, oh, my God, I love writing music. People seem to like hearing my music and I love performing it. And so there's a the business. So that's the entrepreneur. And, like, if you look at artists, all of us are entrepreneurs because we, we make something, but we have to sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where that came from. But, yeah, I mean... In terms of back to the Thinklandia days and and uh, and Quench, I just knew it had to be built. And the more I talked about it, the more I could hear other people going, "Yeah, I just feel like I don't know my people anymore." And you know, you think of what churches used to be. You know, we I used to have to go to church every Sunday, and you know, we'd have bush dances at church, and we'd have there'd be meal you know, like things. And I mean, that's people are moving away from that now um but well they broke uh, there's a sense that they broke some trust at at some point as well for sure and but i think people want to belong they want to be seen and they want to feel like they're part of something and that's what i really believe that's what i think that the co-working culture was about do i think that that it's addressed in a lot of co-working spaces no i think a lot of co-working spaces are primarily space focused Mm -hmm. and we are not space focused at all the people who come here the majority of people come here say i need to get out of my home i need to connect with people i need to and you know the amount of people that say how much happy they they are for being here like that's what makes me get all teary right (laughs) (laughs) i do i love it so in I guess in it you you sort of serve this um, market right now that's you know very you know uh, freelancer yep. um, some small companies of you know under yep. five or yep. so people that's going to be expanding in the future but mm-hmm. what, what do you what do you say to somebody even in you know a 40 50 person company that yeah. How do they build community? How is that? How does that work? Well, I mean, I can tell you how I pitch Quench to them because um, I think that when you've got that size of company and like if you you think of some of the companies that have 
an HQ in one place and then they there's lots of telecommunities and contract workers if you look at you know just to name a couple of Canadian companies is you know like uh, Shopify and um, like Benevity and these people have a lot of remote workers but in order to keep your company functional and healthy you've got to keep the culture of your company strong and that's really hard to do when you're stretching across the country and across uh, you know not just Canada but other countries and so that's the thing that quench provides for them is like if if your company culture identifies with the values of quench then we'll take care of your workers. So we take care of the culture. We make sure that your your workers feel supported in terms of their health, their well-being, their, um, their learning, their, um, you know, whatever it is that they need. And you can concentrate on your business. Like, like I hope that's what we provide Avalon is just, you know, you look after Avalon, we'll, we'll look after the things that, that give you higher... Um, employee retention mm-hmm. um, and then I think that's incredibly beneficial to most any of the companies that I've brought into this location and that we're bringing to the next that's what they're about they know that company culture is huge it can make or break a company so going back to when you sort of launched Quench yes here officially <sighs> <laughs> it makes me tired. <laughs> um, was there something, was there a moment like that you had to jump or oh, not jump? God, yes. And what was it? It was your text message. <laughs> oh, seriously? <laughs> I, I didn't know the answer to that. I wasn't prompting you to say it had anything to do with me. <laughs> no, well, as you know, I started up the watershed first. And then um, I left the watershed because I wanted – they always knew that they asked me to start up a co-working space for them. Um, and originally I'd said I couldn't because I was going to be starting Quench. And they said, please do us first and then you can go and do Quench afterwards. So I started up the watershed. I built that. In, and then after a year, I left to work on Quench. And when I left, I really thought that I was going to open Quench really quickly um, and that was like, then all of a sudden I went into this massive learning, like this massive learning curve of, oh my gosh, what, what is, how do you run a business? How do you find investors? How do you do a pitch deck? How do you do a business plan? Like, how do you find investors? What does it mean when they have equity? What's debt equity? And I just, I had to learn this whole new language and this, um, just how to navigate myself through all this was and I also had to really solidify and detail exactly what quench was down from I think a three paragraph explanation to a one sentence or three words a co-working culture club and hopefully one day it'll just be a culture club you know you won't even have to say co-working no I'm hoping it would just be a culture club or a work work and lifestyle club. Was that was that necessary to go through that thing, or was Absolutely. there something was there something there that um, that could have been circumvented? Was there were, were the mm. things that you you went back? Go, oh man, that was a long, you know, dead end. No, I think it was highly beneficial because by the time that I got the text from you saying 
we need an office and we need it by July. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, this is, this is it. Like, you know, the business in, you know, the industry inside out. I just, I'd become so well versed on the different ways to run a co-working space, the different opportunities, whether I purchase a building or whether I lease a building. Um, I'd gained so many advisors who were giving me such great advice. And I I knew that I I think the biggest jump was financial. And that was really scary. It was really scary. But in what way? What was the what was the biggest fear there? Well, I had to sign a lease that I was going to pay, you know, multiple thousands a month on this lease. And I hadn't earned any money for a year and a half. I have a young family. You know, it was scary, but it wasn't, it was also like, oh, I'm doing, there was no doubt I was doing it. I was like, I'm doing this. And if this is the way, and I know it sounds hokey, but if this is the way the universe is showing me I have to do it, then I have to do it. And so the time that you had written the email, I had been looking at a lot of properties. I'd been talking to a lot of investors who wanted me to purchase, but they were a different type of investor that wanted to invest in the company. And I was really trying to figure out how that worked and what the best thing for me and the company was going to be. And so... Um, I had gone and seen a building where someone had wanted me to sort of take over their cafe. And as I explained to them that that's not really how co-working is, it's not just you chuck a few desks in and then it's co-working, I was walking out of the building and noticed that there was this upstairs. And I was like, what did that go to? And she said, oh, it's just an attic. I went to the upstairs of this building and it was this insanely large post and beam attic totally unused and I was like this is quench and I just knew I was like this will be it because it was a really large footprint which is what I I truly believe in is that I'm I don't believe in multiple levels right um because we're creatures of habit and stay in your level yeah you'll stay on your level those jerks on level seven right yeah (laughs) (laughs) they get the pool table (laughs) um but yeah. were you, so you, you feel like you were ready to be pushed at that point? Is that? Yes. And so then you were like, here's the deadline. There were a couple of other people who had sort of given a deadline to yeah, you yeah. that, that um, were in your situation. Um, and yeah. And so basically someone, I said, no, I need a place now because I'd contacted the building owner of this other place and he's, he was very interested in developing it but it was going to take a year and then the property manager said to me I've got this place that you could take for a year right. um, and I was like this is it right this is it and it wasn't too far away from where you were already located it already had offices in it but I don't want to take too much credit here like you you were mm-hmm. ready to go and you would have done this no matter what that's fair to say I would have, but you you were actually instrumental in going, come on, Tessa, you can do this now. Like, the time is now. I think I even have texts going, the time is now. You got right. this. And you were you were like, oh, I'm going to give you, you know, four months rent, rent up front, which was massive in terms of helping me get cash flow going. Um, so, yeah, don't. Don't sell yourself short there, Joe. <laughs> I just think yeah. quench was going to happen no matter what. It but, was. Yeah. But I also think I needed that kick in the pants because it was 
going to happen, but I needed someone to hold me accountable well, to. Well, and it. there comes in community, I guess. you Exactly, yeah. You needed someone to do that Just, last little yeah. bit. The new what you needed that you had people that... And I did, and, like, there was so many people that came forward helping and people out of the woodwork, like, I've had... So many female entrepreneurs in town have just been like, go for it, Tessa. Keep going. Don't worry about it. You know, I remember texting Nicole Smith one time being like, oh, my gosh, I just don't know what to do. I feel overwhelmed. And she's like, I'll meet you at Bodega in 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and and then I go there and she's like, okay, you've got this. Keep going. And, you know, you know what it's like as an entrepreneur. It's like <laughs> entrepreneur. Um <laughs> It's Please use the accent. <laughs> <laughs> My friends is so good. Um, uh, it's insane in terms of the highs and lows. It can happen so quickly. You can be on cloud nine from one phone call and then you'll hang up that phone call and get an email and then you look crashed again. Right. And now you're doubting everything. Everything. That you, everything. That you everything. Doing. Yeah. And then, then you bring investors in and you're like, holy crap, you know, now I'm accountable to this and I, you know, you've got all the more pressure. Yeah. Um, but having said all that, I just know that this is what people want. I can tell from, from the amount of people, like we're nearly full and we've only been open for, what have we been here for six months? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And the amount of people that are now signing up to be in the next building um, and just the, uh, you know, oh, I can't wait until we, what, have the steam room or I can't wait until there's a make, bit more maker space or a library. I can't wait for the library actually, you know. Um, yeah. And I think, sorry, that's one of the things about this space that's been a little bit hard is realising that I couldn't do it exactly how I wanted to right. first. Well, this is the beta. Or the minimum viable product yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's worked really well. Do you go into maybe some more detail on like, okay, so now you've launched mm-hmm. Quench. You've committed to taking the leap. You've signed the lease. Yeah. Now what happens? What do you do? So I think that that was, like, as a, um, that was the biggest time for me because it was so incredible. I was so incredibly busy. I didn't have any money yet, so I was really trying to figure out the business development side, like, holy crap, how am I going to get this money? But I had a building that I had to open. So, um, excuse me, um, it was really intense. And there were things that I learned that I didn't even know about. Like, I didn't, and I know it sounds stupid, I didn't know that furniture you had to assemble all the furniture that you get. So I had over, how many desks do we have? Like I had over 30, 32 desks that I had to assemble. I had, you know, um, how many chairs, 70 something chairs that I had to assemble. I had to assemble um, filing cabinets and just all these things that are so time consuming. And, and it came down to me doing it, like all the painting in the building. I came in here and was painting, you know, from two o'clock in the morning sometimes until, you know, 10 or 11 at night, painting the floors at night by myself, ripping up carpet. You know, we had people coming and doing those things as well, but it was primarily me. And then it was friends would drop by and, you know, I'd have people from our watershed days would, you know, come in and, and, and help me out 
just go, hey, I can come for an hour and help you with some desks or neighbours would come. Um, so that two months, which I thought would be a month, <laughs> and it turned into two months, was incredibly intense because there were so many hats that I was wearing. I was becoming an electrician. I was a painter. I was a furniture assembly. I was um, an interior designer. I was a shopper. Uh, you know, I was having to buy things online and shop around at all these different shops here. And um, and then you have your newest community members asking you to hey. open up. <laughs> open up, bitch. Where's the coffee? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the newest community members were really patient because, of course, we didn't have a kitchen. Remember? That's right. start, we and so I couldn't because we didn't have certain electrical outlets. We couldn't put coffee machines in, and so I had to go down every morning and buy coffee at, you know, down at the corner and bring it back. And 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 it was just full on, and it honestly hasn't stopped since then. I mean, I I get up at four in the morning, and I get as much business development or admin or social media stuff that I can get done. Um, from four until seven till my my kids wake up and then when I'm here it's really like all I'm doing is really running the space here I can't get much of the you know real estate negotiations or business loan applications or social media or I can't get much of that done because I can't focus for long I'm interrupted to do other things so how do you take care of yourself in this scenario or or are you on like a like a Ticking, Drugs? ticking time time bomb. Is it like, is there like a shelf life to this time or yeah, are you finding some is. time to, to take you care know, of yourself? I think that there's definitely a shelf life to what's, what's going on right now. Um, Cause you don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee. Can that you imagine un- me on only, coffee though? Uh, yeah, that's true. But <laughs> I don't know wow. how you're coping. Coffee. <laughs> You'd be like Broadway songs all around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I don't drink coffee, but I think that so after Christmas, I really realized because I had put on weight and my eating habits had gone down, which was completely counterproductive to what I was trying to provide for other people. So I'm trying to provide this place where people have balance and yet I'm not getting any exercise. I'm a big yogi and I wasn't doing any yoga, not doing any, I'm eat, you know, eating two minute noodles I can't believe I just, you know, admitted that. But it it was ridiculous. And so then after Christmas, I remember just being like, okay, I need to at least exercise four days a week. So um, as you know, Alex um, was very kind to say, I'll come and man the desk while you go. And sometimes he comes down and he says, Tessa, you're going to the gym. And I say, I don't have time to go to the gym today. I've got, I was like, I said to him, look at how many tabs I've got open on my computer. I've got to get this done. And he'll say, you're going to go to the gym. And I'll go, okay. So it's like having people support. And um, I've had people come in and say, hey, I've noticed that your website, you know, our website got hacked. Mm -hmm. It's that classic weekend where the building flooded uh, no, the website got hacked on the Friday. The building flooded with all the brand new carpet on the Sunday. And then on the Monday, Tuesday, my son was put into hospital with meningitis. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> but that was also this amazing story because I couldn't come into work and all of you guys ran the space. So the space was completely run by its clients, its members. 
and I was at the hospital for three, four days with my son. And and you guys got two new members. <laughs> so it was just such this testament to the community that we've got. And I think, you know, people have seen how much work we're all now putting into the space. We all want it to work and that's what it was always about. And, yeah, there's definitely a shelf life for this and hopefully hopefully I can employ someone soon and and calm myself down a bit and yeah so in the low points there's some pretty low points although yeah. some some highs within that how do you pull yourself out of that or is there like yeah. sort of things that you you specifically did to kind of mm. shake yourself out of it I'm a I'm very I've I feel very lucky that I'm I was born with a brain that doesn't get too low and I'm I'm very aware that I'm very lucky to have that kind of brain makeup. I'm someone that can pretty quickly change and maybe not a negative into a positive but I can quickly shift the trajectory of my thoughts um and then quickly work around it. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess that's a benefit. Um, I've got really good friends. Um, my parents are amazing and, like, the support of the members has been incredible. I think sometimes I share a bit too much <laughs> with the members. Right. It's a test of quality. Um, but that, that can that can be a vulnerability thing too where yeah. you're, a, you're a part of that community that you've created and people yeah. recognize that. If you didn't and sort of sheltered yourself off, that would be maybe Yeah. Tough. And, I mean, as we grow – I will have to shut that off more or, you know, I'll still do it with the, the our core group of people, I guess. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's been a ride. And, you know, it's the thing that I find really interesting about it is that you're constantly living with uncertainty, uncertainty, even though you, even though I, absolutely believe in this more than I did in my music career, more than I did in anything. I believe in this. Um, I can just, I can picture it. I can see it. Um, but I still don't know if it's going to work out. Like, you know, you listen to how I built this and you hear of all the struggles that they went to through and you go, oh, that sounds terrible. But you're still listening to it knowing that they're millionaires now and they've got successful businesses. Right, right. I don't know. Like we're looking for $1.5 million to fund the next space. Um, you know, the news of the financing thing that I've been talking to you about, that's a major blow because it's like I thought that I'd be getting this financing to support, to be part of that one point five. And now I don't. So I'm back at square one and it's like, oh, my God, I've got how many months to find that money? Right. It's really scary. Any other big surprises from when you, you sort of opened up the the quench location to yeah. now? Like I, obviously a lot of work on the mechanical side, but was there any yeah. anything else there that was like, oh, man, I didn't realize I'd have to do this or I didn't realize there was this involved as well? I think the the amount of work and the 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 amount of work risk and no pay I don't think you can understand. You hear about it but I don't think 
you can understand. It's like anything, I guess. You don't really understand until you're actually in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that has really hit home for me is like, you know, like we were talking about in the kitchen the other day. I said, now I get why CEOs get paid more. You know, or maybe not CEOs, but founders get paid more at a certain stage because, you know, like I'm hoping to hire someone, they'll be getting paid before I get paid. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I pay other people and I don't get paid yet. So that's the thing that I'm like, yeah, that uncertainty of when will that paycheck, even if it's 200 bucks, <laughs> you know, something come to you is that's been a real eye-opener and having to balance that with life. Mm -hmm. Is there a reputational component to, to keeping you motivated? Do you fear failure? I mean, I think everyone feels failure. I also fear success in some ways because I think that, um, that there's stuff that comes with success that I don't like. I think I don't like, but I don't know because I haven't been successful yet. But more money, more problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I do, I remember as an eleven-year-old on a TV show, there was you know, it's a pretty quick way to lose friends um, because people assume you are something that you're not, and you know, people they like to drag down successful people sometimes. So there's a fear of that. And, yeah, there's a fear of failure because there's, um, you know what, I actually don't even have a fear of the failure because I just, I think that if it's not, doesn't work, I'm just not doing it right. So I'll just have to switch it because I know it's something people want. I, the amount of emails per day, the amount of people we get dropping in, mm-hmm. it's something people want. The The thing that would be the failure is if I haven't, being able to be agile enough to adjust to to how I deliver it, mm-hmm. I think. But yeah, this the the stress and the risk is you you got to have good peeps that you can talk to for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> you must find that too. Like when you started. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, you you have this your your mind becomes sort of a. Um, uh, echo chamber yeah and you you start replaying your thoughts and questioning yourself and sometimes you need that outside perspective i mean i went as far as to get a business partner um which which went a long way to bouncing my crazy and sometimes stupid ideas off of um yeah i would love that yeah and i i mean you've listened to the startup podcast and yeah and and the, the benefits of having a partner yeah are enormous but there's i mean there's no right path to success I don't think um but uh yeah that's been definitely helpful because you you do need people that you can rely on that will tell you when you're being yeah you want to tell you stupid stuff to just say yeah yeah that's what I definitely miss that and I've tried to find a business partners and but then that comes back to that thing too where I'm sure you've had is that when you hire your first employee like how nerve wracking was that nerve wracking for you? Oh yeah, I mean yeah. It, it was absolutely needed at the time, but yeah, it's it's a nerve wracking experience when somebody expects to be employed by yeah. you in a year, in two years, yeah, or not. I mean, it's up to them at that point. They, yeah. you know, 
they may give you a two weeks notice tomorrow and, and that. So you start having this. Yeah. I mean, it's a greater fear. And you realize, I think, at that point, too, and, and I think we've talked about this in the past, that a small scale sometimes can be very, very risky. You get into sort yeah. of risk areas where you have three to five employees and, right. you know, maybe a few big clients. And uh, um, that can be so why is that why is is why is the small scale worse well if you lose lose big clients right you still have to pay your people and if you lose some people you still have their big clients (laughs) so you can't spread that out uh spread that risk out a little bit but yeah interesting (laughs) um (coughs) any you, you mentioned you touched on and um be interested to hear if you had any sort of advice for other female entrepreneurs, if, if there's some, you know, hangups mm. that you've come across that you think other people should know about or be a specifically for females. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <coughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that one of the things that, uh, systemic societal guilt <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. is something that I've really had to look at. I mean, I was a stay at home mum. I really believed, and that is a tough role when you're, you know, someone who's, it's a, it's a tough role. And, um, I really believed that my kids needed to know that, that I was, or that their parents were the ones that they can go to. And hopefully when they're 15 and they'll know that. So I really believe that first five years I needed to be there for my kids. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not there as much and I have to, you know, shoo them out the door and they're really good about it. So that sometimes feels guilty when I'm not keeping up with homework. I'm not, you know, I'm not, oh my gosh, you've got swimming today. Yes, I'll quickly rush your bathing suit to you and you know Mm -hmm. things like that I definitely feel there's a lot of um, guilt that comes with that but I the amount of support that women give each other is unbelievable from what I've found I've never met someone who like it's so supportive they're just like what do you need how can I help here use this this might help and it's it's really women really raise each other up so mm-hmm. that's something that's been great um so it's maybe seeking that <clears throat> help out has been, been yeah great. seeking yeah. it and being willing to ask and and yeah being willing to ask and seek help I think the really good thing is knowing what I'm not good at and being able to go whoop Bali's, I'm not good at this. <laughs> Can anyone help? Like, you know, and that's that's part of that n- not taking yourself too seriously. Is right. Like you can't do it all. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I am doing it all at the moment and it's incredibly overwhelming at times and, yeah, it makes me want to cry a little bit right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. Too many I mean, hats. I'm so wearing now too many hats. You're, you're, you're running Quench. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're the, you are the owner. You do it all. Um, but you're also the building, but you're, yeah, yeah. but you're also the community manager. So how have you been able to balance that? Has there been specific things that like you prioritize or what do you, what do you come into the, what do you come into the space in the morning and, and think about? I mean, the highest priority is making sure we're providing a space where people feel really comfortable 
to belong and be themselves. So that's, you know, I'm always at the front desk um, unless I'm doing a podcast with Joe in the back room. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I make sure that I'm providing a service. I don't want people to feel, um, yeah, I just want people to feel like it's their home and in some ways like it's a home that not all of us can afford but you feel like if you want to put your feet on the couch you put your feet on the couch if you want to you know um have a friend over for a meeting you have a friend over and you know so that's the the core part is making sure that the people in the space are well looked after and feel supported Mm -hmm. and I think that the cool thing I've noticed is that I don't have to do my job as hard now because you guys all do it as well like everybody's doing it like I'll notice someone in the kitchen introduce herself to a new person and ask them about themselves and as soon as they say something they'll go oh well you should meet so-and-so upstairs because he does this or she does that and I sit there and I I go awesome I don't have to do that yeah because you're all doing it for each other And whether that's modeling, I'm modeling it, I don't know. I just think that we all feel comfortable. Well, you also tend to protect the front door in the sense of not letting certain people in. Yeah, I I curate the space for sure. And and sometimes I get it right and sometimes I I get it wrong. And 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 you need to have that tough conversation. Yeah, and I I try not to – I I really try to diversify who comes in – and but sometimes I can see, you know, we're not a space for everybody. And right. and I'm very open to saying to people, you know what, this might not be the right space for you, but you can go down, there's the dock, there's Tectoria, there's the watershed, there's, you know, space station and I'm I and each of them have a little niche that I'm I'm like, this would maybe suit you better. Um, right. because ultimately, and I say this to people, I want you to be happy being here. Because if you're not happy being here, it's going to bring down the right. the mojo of the place. It, it's something we've talked about in the past, too, is a sort of post-competition um, reality, more collaboration. Yeah. Um, is that sort of part of the, the vetting process? Or, or do you have, like, things in your head that you are like, ooh, this isn't going to work? Yeah, I mean, recently I thought something wasn't going to work, but I also wanted to challenge my own... Um, I don't judgment and I was like okay well why are you thinking this and so I decided that I'd go ahead and and it it didn't work out but um, it did for a little bit but it didn't end well which is a bummer Um, so and I think it's about also protecting the members in a way and going, okay, how, what are we going to, what are we allowing into this space? Because for me, each quench location will only be a certain size. I'm not going to have the 100,000 square feet space because I don't believe that that's what sustains community. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, okay, who have we got in here? What complements each other? You know, we have a lot of designers in this space, as you know, and it seems to really work with all the industrial designers, building designers, architects, um, graphic designers we have in here. They all work so well together um, because they can give jobs to each other. Mm-hmm. But there's other professions that are in here that might not work so well if they have another competitive um, 
company or right in here. Yeah. And it's figuring that out. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, the different industries. Like, would I put two cloud accounting, like accounting companies in here? I don't know. I don't know. It'd you be talk to Joe. You talk to Joe first, probably. Joe, I talk to you first about everything. <laughs> You're my go-to advice man. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, I think I'm seeing a thread that there's a you know the people in the know or know the next stage of what businesses should be think about collaboration not competition because yeah. if you're yep. competing um you're probably in the wrong little space absolutely i fully agree yeah um so what does quench look like when it's done well i mean the big picture is that there's club quenches all around the world um they would be uh smaller so they'd be a little bit more I don't like the word elite but they're they're smaller locations than you know say a we work would be um and they really cater to people who want thirst for more in life so it's people who um want to feel balanced who who want to have those core things of what quench is about which is you know, the acronym for Quench, where they want knowledge, they want wellness, they want novelty and um, experiences and curio- they, they remain curious and they want connections. And those are the things that bring happiness. And that's what Quench aims to do is, is provide a space where, you know, if you go to Toronto to, to meet a client and you arrive in at five o'clock in the morning, you know that, oh, I'm just going to go to the Quench, I'm going to have a shower. I'm going to do a yoga class and sit down and work before my meeting arrives at the quench location. And you can do that because, and you know how the quench, a quench works. It'll be a bit different because it's a Toronto location and it'll cater to the clientele there. But, you know, you then hopefully you fly to Sydney and you can do exactly the same thing. Right. You know, that's, you know, I would like to move back to Australia one day. <laughs> so... And what does your life look like in that scenario where, okay, let's flash forward 10 or 15 years, Mm -hmm. there's quenches all over the place. What what does your day-to-day life look like? Hopefully by then I can, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's a really good question. I would obviously like to not be as stressed as I am now, both financially and uh, emotionally. (laughs) Um. So hopefully it's things are running smoothly. We've got a good team of people. It's a good culture. I mean, it's a culture club, that, so that's the thing that has to remain mm-hmm. strong. Um, Is there any things in, in things in your like specifically in your day that you'd be like, yes, this would be my perfect day. Club Quench is kind of running on its own. I'm doing this and this and this. Well, I would really, and look, I I'm not a Walmart fan, but I really loved some of Sam Walton's. Um, beliefs in that he 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 went to every location like the people in, in all most of the locations that he'd opened when he was running it they knew him and he knew the people and I hope that Quench isn't so big that I can't go to every location and know people that are there that would be my hope is that I can still be visiting the locations and making sure that you know that we've got we've got that that most important role which is the community manager role that they feel really supportive and they're the ones that are really providing the culture so that would be it I would love to maybe 
I mean, I, I love psychology and I love people and I love community and I really love seeing how people flow through life. And so I'd love to be able to consult other companies and go, you know, I think that maybe if you, you know, can you see how your people do this? Maybe if you provided this for them, this would instigate this reaction or, you know. Right, so um, a bit of more testing in, in the community yeah. space, that kind of thing. Like, um, you know, companies who can't move into Quenches but really like what Quench does, being able to go to them and, and consult and say this is these are the things. Um, yeah, podcasts. We want to be doing a Quench podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, hopefully in 10 years, as I say, a little bit of my time is freed up so I can maybe go and do some traveling with my kids or maybe one day go on a holiday. Imagine. <laughs> It'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> or my big thing, as I know I'm just going to say, it, is like buy a new bra. I haven't had a new bra in many, many years. <laughs> and I'm like, gee, it'd be nice to be able to afford to buy a new bra. <laughs> uh, you know, reaching yeah. for the stars. There. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Luckily, my mom, you know, she does help there. <laughs> nice. Um, so... What would you what would you like to say to the audience? Like, wh- what do they need to be doing from a community standpoint? Like, what should they be thinking about? In community standpoint. Well, from from anything, I guess, from any any sort of standpoint on your perspective of like how this is communities operate. Like, what would you leave them with? What would you try to say? Like, hey, do this, don't do that. I think that it all comes down to modeling. I really do. If you if you provide an opening and welcoming place where people feel seen and people feel heard, um, then th- that's going to instigate community. And But you need someone who's that. You know, you guys used to call I think Sutton used to call me the glue. You, you need someone who's willing to play that glue role. Um, uh, not all the time, just like instigate it and then uh, and back off, I think. Um, so I think that's important. I, I do want to say one of the things, sorry, and since it's a podcast also about you guys are accountants, one of the things as an entrepreneur that um, has been a great relief, and it sounds as though I'm doing a plug for you, but I am, <laughs> is that you took over the, my, the financials for me from the beginning and to have that completely looked after has been worth its weight in gold because I just I I kind of don't care because I know you'll tell me <laughs> when to care yeah when to care right. and that can be different for other people right some yeah. people are good with the finances yeah, exactly. and make their marketing you know yeah. they just don't have a mind for that well and I mean if my business was really um about um, building something and just like getting the money in and go, 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 then then I'd probably be more focused on the financials. Of course, I know what's happening with the financials, but for me, my focus needed to be on fostering a space that people wanted to come to and and walk past and feel like they wanted to be in. And if I'm constantly worrying about the financials, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. My stress level would be so high that I'd just be a basket case. Yeah, you can only care so, about so much in any given moment. Yeah, and right? it's that's the thing, of, as I was saying, you know, raising your hand and saying, Gee, I can't do this bit. Like, this is where I need help because I need to remove that from my plate so I can focus on the things that I can do. Right, right. Yeah. Great. 
Yeah. Thanks so much, Tessa. Thanks, Joe. It was a pleasure talking to you today. (laughs) (laughs) You too. (laughs) Namaste. Hey, everybody, just a couple more things before you take off. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Tessa McLaughlin. If you're looking for further information about anything we discussed, please check out the show notes at avalonaccounting.ca forward slash podcast. To find out more about what Tessa is up to, check out the Club Quench website, clubquench.com. Until next time, thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.